as you are able, out of respect for God's holy and inspired word, would you remain standing for the reading of our sermon text, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. This is the inspired word of God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. And as you are, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is a great and gracious gift. We thank you that you speak to us through it, and we pray that you would do that even now. Just ask that whatever impediments might be in the way of us hearing your voice, that they might be taken away, that I might not get in the way, that we might not get in the way, that our thoughts and our short attention spans and our our hungers and our, our different distractions might all fade away, that we might focus upon you and you alone. For we ask it in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, this week we had a holiday. It was Veterans Day this week. And because it was Veterans Day, that got me thinking a lot about the whole idea of soldiers. And, and as I thought about this, it occurred to me that, that soldiers is, are, are a, a metaphor, an imagery, an example that the Apostle Paul especially often uses when, when describing who we are and who we ought to be in serving the Lord. In 2 Timothy 2, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And then in Philippians 2, Paul writes, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Finally, in Philemon, the book's written to Philemon, Paul writes to Philemon, but not just him. He also writes to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. We see that this imagery is, is an especially rich one that Paul uses. Just a couple days ago on Veterans Day, I, I saw my Facebook wall flooded with pictures of soldiers as many people shared pictures of themselves during their military service, or perhaps a loved one, a, a, a parent or a grandparent, and, and Facebook was filled with pictures of soldiers. I shared a picture of my dad from basic training. It's one of the few pictures I have of him in his military outfit, but as I thought about that, I, I began to think about what basic training is, and essentially what basic training is, is it's a place that they bring people who are going to be soldiers 
so that they can train and equip them, right? They want to give them all the, the things that they need to wear, the gun that they need to carry, and they teach them how to use it. They build them up and prepare them so that they might be a more effective soldier. If we are going to serve the Lord as effective soldiers in his army, then we too must be trained and equipped. And that's what today's text really talks about. That's why I wanted to focus on today, is that we want to be a church that trains and equips people to walk with God and to serve in the Lord's army. We looked earlier at the armor of God, what we need to gird ourselves with, what we need to clothe ourselves with. And it's interesting, isn't it? As we look at the armor of God, I don't know if you've noticed this today or if you've noticed it before, but there are all these different pieces of armor that we put on. You know, we put on the, the belt and the breastplate and the shoes and the, the shield and the helmet. We have all these things on us to kind of protect us, but there is one piece of the armor of God that actually is something that we carry that is uh, used in a more offensive manner, something that we go forth with. It is the sword, of course. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the tool that if you are going to be a soldier in the Lord's army, that you really must be trained with, right? If, if at basic training they gave everybody a gun and just kind of sent them on their way and never taught them how to use the gun and you know maybe they've got some training in their past but if they don't this could be a real problem they have to train them how to use this piece of weaponry and in the same way we at the church need to look to the word of god specifically as that thing which we need to be trained in the bible holy scriptures that is what Second Timothy is all about. Jonathan Lehman has said this, God's word working through God's spirit is the most powerful force in the universe and in the church. And because we believe that to be true, we can have great confidence that, that God's word in us brings us great comfort and peace and strength and joy. And so it's imperative that we be trained and equipped specifically with the Word of God. For we see in this text that the Bible is inspired, it is profitable, and it is purposeful. First, it's inspired. When we say this, we're not just saying it's filled with good ideas, right? Sometimes that's what we mean when we say something was inspired. I think back to a Christmas gift I got my dad once. Dads are really hard to get gifts for, aren't they? You know, you can never think of anything that they actually want or need. But I, I many years ago, found online a copy of an old book that my dad's grandfather had written. My dad didn't even know that they were still around anywhere. And when he opened it up, he was so overjoyed to have this copy of this book that his grandfather had written. And he said to me, Pete, what an inspired gift. Now, of course, when he said that, he, he didn't mean that there was a divine component to it. He was just saying, boy, what a great idea you had. 
But when we talk about the Word of God being inspired, we're not talking about it just being a good idea. We are indeed claiming a divine component to it. In fact, as we look in verse 16, it puts it this way in the ESV, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That's what it means to be inspired. We think of the word inspire. It's made up of two parts, right? In and spire. And that word spire... If you ever spent any time in the hospital, maybe with any kind of breathing issues, right? They've, they've had you breathe into the spirometer, right? Or, or we just talk about our respiration, right? That, that word spire just means breathe. And so if something is inspired, it means it's in the breath. It's, it's saying that, that the word of God is literally the breath of God. It's the speaking of God. It's It's his words. He is breathing and speaking through his word. Remember, too, that that as we studied Genesis not too long ago, we looked at how the the Hebrew word, anyway, for, for breath, and the Hebrew word for spirit were actually the same word, right? And so there's a sense in which in which to say that God is breathing through it, it's his spirit working through it. So so as it is inspired, is literally the, the working of the Spirit through human authors to produce the voice of God in the Scriptures. Psalm 119 is a famous psalm. It's not just the longest psalm, but it's also the classic psalm on the Word of God. We sang part of it just a moment ago. If you're familiar with Psalm 119, you know that it begins by saying, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart and also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Right. So, so we've seen already just those first three verses. It talks about the law, it talks about the testimonies, it talks about the ways. And then it goes on from there and talks about, uh, it talks more directly to God, saying you've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. And it talks from there about your statutes and your commandments and your righteous rules. So, so we see that it gives all these different words that kind of look at a different facet of the word of God. Kind of different synonyms that, that look at different things that it does, different ways that it means. But, but it's most important, I think, at this point to notice that it doesn't just say the law, the testimonies, the ways, the precepts, the statutes, the commandments, the righteous rules. No, it says the law of the Lord. His testimonies. His ways. Talking to God, your statutes, your commandments, your precepts, your righteous rules, right? It's very clear. It's totally unambiguous. This is the word of God. He is the one who is speaking. It's not just man ideas, man's ideas or man's perspectives on things, right? We understand this idea of different perspectives. We, we, when we watch the news, we probably all pick a certain network that we watch, because we want to have somebody who's, who, who tells the news from our perspective, right? We want 
want somebody who's telling it from our perspective. That's what we like to do. We don't want to hear voices that will challenge us, that will, will say things we don't like. So we, we gather around people who are going to just kind of say the things that we want them to say. The Bible makes no such claims, no such promises, right? It says this is not man's perspective. This is not just something to make you feel good. This is the very voice of God, and it will challenge you, right? Sometimes, sometimes we, we just kind of assume that we want to have people around us who just kind of are yes men, right? The, the context of today's text even, right? After 1 Timothy, or, or 1 Timothy 3, we go to 1 Timothy, uh, never mind, let me back out of that. Let me back out of that. Let me say something totally different. If we, if we look at 1 Timothy 4, in 1 Timothy 4 we see the fact that Paul says the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We are so prone to do this kind of thing. We are prone to do this. We, we long to just gather people around us who tell us what we want to hear. But see, the reality is this is the worst possible thing we can do if we want to learn, if we want to grow. Right? We need to have a, a viewpoint that's going to challenge us, and that's, that's what the Word of God does. Right? When was the last time you, you, you looked to the Word of God? This should be happening in our lives regularly. We look to the Word of God, and it convicts us in some area of our life. It, it, it tells us, wait a second, you need to think about that differently. You need to be living your life differently. You need to be going about things differently. This should happen regularly to us in our lives. I'm not just talking about like some area of sin that you struggle with, that you've struggled with for months or years, whatever, and you look to the Bible, yep, it's still sin. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about looking to the Word of God as we study it regularly and have it just kind of punch us in the gut and say, wait a second, I need to stop doing things the way that I'm doing them. It should challenge us. Because in challenging us, it will teach us. It will only happen if we're listening to God's voice. And God's word is where we hear God's voice because God's word is inspired. Secondly, in addition to being inspired, it's profitable. Now, now I'm sure we've all seen tele, televangelists and, and prosperity gospel preachers who have their private jet and their uh, giant mansion and they make millions upon millions upon millions of dollars every year uh, and for them they could say the word of God has been quite profitable that's not what I'm talking about when I speak of the word of God being profitable usually that's what we think about isn't it when we think about profitability we think about money but the Bible's very clear that there are other prophets that are far more important far more uh, direct, far more foundational that we need to look to. Jesus famously says in Matthew 16, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? And so this passage today 
talks about some of the ways that the Word of God is profitable to us. And first of all, it's profitable in that it teaches us. Right? It teaches us. We, we want to be learning things all the time. It, it, it's a good thing. Johannes Kepler famously talked about how, how we are to think God's thoughts after him. Now, he was talking about scientific inquiry when he was talking about that. And we certainly want to pursue that. We want to be thinking in terms of, of, of learning from the world and from, from science and you know, remembering that, that all science is God's science. He's the one who, who created the world to act in the way it acts, to be in the way it is. And so we're, we're definitely in favor of those things, not against them. But even more foundationally, we should look to Scripture. For God says through the prophet Hosea, my people perish for lack of knowledge. He's not talking about science and reading, and writing, and arithmetic. He's talking there about knowledge of God as he truly is and what he has truly done. That's what he's talking about when he says that that we perish for lack of knowledge. He's he's saying there's no sight of God. Famously in Proverbs 29, it says, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. There's no prophetic vision. There is no sight of God. We need to see God. And in seeing God, we see his law. And we are taught how to live in his world. We need to be taught, though, because it doesn't come naturally. Right? A lot of times that's how we think it is. You know, people say, you know, well, look at that little baby that was born so pure and innocent. And that's not true. None of us is born pure and innocent. We are all born sinful. And the world tells us that, well, what happens is we get corrupted by the problems out there, and all we need to do is really look deep within our hearts. And if we look deep within our hearts, we'll find the answers. And just pursue whatever's in your heart and follow your heart and whatever you think is right and true to yourself. Just be true to yourself and true to your heart. And that's all you need to do. But the world is wrong, brothers and sisters. The world is so wrong. For as Jeremiah put it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Right? We need not to follow our hearts. We need our hearts to be changed. We need a new heart altogether. Right? And so Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Right? By the renewal of your mind, by, by the things you think about, by the way you think about things. See, the Bible teaches us the, the way that we should go, but it doesn't do this just by teaching us ethics. Right? People think about the Bible in those terms sometimes, right? That the Bible's this big rule book that tells us all these things. Do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And they think about the Bible and Christianity by extension as just a bunch of rules, ethics, right? But, but while there are rules and while there are ethics involved in the Bible, that is not the main message of the Bible, right? The main message of the Bible is not, not an ethics case study. The main message of the Bible is what God has done 
is doing and will do in his creation. The fact that, that the forces of Satan and sin and death have come against him and he is still king. He has defeated them through Christ Jesus at the cross and will one day vanquish them completely. And so we look to that truth. We learn that truth. And we know, as John says, that this is eternal life, that they know you, the one and only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right? So, so it in teaching us, the Bible doesn't just teach us rules and ethics, it teaches us about Jesus. It teaches us about a person, about a person who is the Son of God, a person who took on human flesh, who came to earth, who lived here and died for us and has gone to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. He will come back one day and set all things to right. And when he does come back, we will see him. First John says, as he truly is, and we will be changed by that. We will be totally transformed, totally conformed to his likeness as we behold him as he truly is. But while we wait for that day, if we are to see him, we must look to his word. We must look to his word where we see him and are taught about him. And our text today goes on to three other kind of subcategories about teaching. Reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. First, reproof. We need to understand when it talks about reproof, it's not just talking about an intellectual thing, right? It, it, it's not just an intellectual thing telling you that, that you're doing it wrong. It, it's a matter of getting deeper into your soul, deeper into your heart. That's why I think in Hebrews 4, it reads that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the spirit works through the word of God to convict us of sin. It doesn't just tell us that the things that we are doing is wrong. It actually penetrates deep into our being and nags us and causes us to know that, that things are not as they ought to be in our life. And we need such conviction. We need to know that we have it wrong. We need to know that we can't save ourselves. We need to know that we are not doing things right. right? When I go to my doctor, I don't want him to just tell me everything's fine. Well, I do want him to tell me that, but I, I want him to tell me that because it is fine, right? If it's not fine, I don't want him to tell me it is, right? If, if, if you have a deadly disease, it does me no good for him to say, oh, everything's fine, right? And he needs to tell me what the problem is. And so it is that the Bible is very clear in its, its diagnosis of us. It says, you are slaves to sin, you are dead in your sin. And there is nothing you can do to save yourselves. You need a cure that will come from the outside. You need a life that will come from the outside. You need the healing that can come only from Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And so we need that conviction. We need that conviction, that reproof that penetrates deep into our hearts. And then, then the second area is correction. And, and it might sound like reproof and correction are the same thing, but they're a little bit different. Reproof is basically saying, you've got it wrong. Correction is, this is how you get it right. Right? It, it carries the idea. It's actually, kind of in, the, in the Greek, was a medical term dealing with kind of resetting things in the right way. Like if you had a broken bone, right, they would look at it and they say, oh man, that's messed up. We need to reset that. We need to make it right again. That's the idea that's carried here in correction. To restore, to renew, and true renewal, of course, can only be found in Christ Jesus, who is the living word of God. Right? The idea is that we don't just want external changes. It's not just, you know, start doing these things so that your life looks good. Right? We need an internal change. There, there should be external changes, but they need to start inside and work their way out. That's the idea. And so, so he's interested not just in, in a cosmetic fix. He wants to really fix things from the inside. Jesus makes us righteous by giving us his righteousness. But then we have the opportunity to live out that righteousness, and so, so he, he directs us in that way. That's, that's the picture of the, the correction that he offers. See, we're headed in the wrong direction, and, and it's not enough to stop. It's not enough to change directions. At that point, you actually need to go the other direction. And we can do so by the power of God as he as he speaks to us in his word. And he, he leads us in the right direction. That's what training in righteousness is. William Plummer puts it this way. He says, in arrangements of providence and in the teachings of scripture, everything rightly understood conduces to holiness. The thing about training is that, that while you can often train by yourself, sometimes we need other people to train with us, don't we? Right? Maybe... Maybe it comes down to like a, you know, a workout plan, and you go out and you work out, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna run, you know. And but, you know, this morning I really don't feel like running, so maybe I won't. You know, but if I had somebody I was running with, I probably would. But you know, I really don't feel like it, so I won't. Or maybe it's lifting weights, right? You know, and 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 you try to lift too much, and oh, it comes down and crushes you, right? Because you don't have anybody spotting for you, right? Or, or perhaps that there's some exercise you're doing and, and you don't realize this, but if somebody else was watching you, was with you, they could see, oh man, your form is all wrong, so you're not actually getting the benefit of that exercise, right? Because the way, all these things, we, we get better training by training with somebody as opposed to just training on our own. And so it is as we train in righteousness, with the word of God. See, if we, if we are training in righteousness with the word of God, but we just do it on our own, it leaves a lot of room for us to kind of just head off in the wrong direction. Maybe we, we aren't really doing things the way we should, or, or, or maybe we just don't really feel like doing it, so we don't do it at all, or maybe we, we kind of bite off a chunk that's too big and it just crushes us, right? You know, all these things can happen if we're doing it by ourselves, but if we're doing it with others, working together, then we can train in righteousness and benefit each of us. 
We can encourage one another when we are slacking. We can spot when our form is wrong or we're headed in the wrong direction. We need others. And so one of our goals as a church in this next year is, is that we would more and more be looking toward working together with one another to train in righteousness. Part of that might be from, from doing things like, like uh, small group studies or, or small group or house group studies, those types of things. And obviously we don't know what's going to happen with the whole, whole COVID situation. And so, so maybe we end up even extending that out to something where we do provide online opportunities. I don't know, but, but one way or another, we want that to become more a part of the church as we've talked about it at session to where we are more and more gathering groups of people together, building relationships with each other so that we can train in righteousness together, letting the word of God direct us each day. Another thing we're going to do here uh, that we just came up with actually is, is for my, my sermon series in, in Advent is actually going to be kind of inspired by a sermon series or directed by, prompted by, a, a little booklet that Sinclair Ferguson uh, wrote a number of years back called Love Came Down, where he looked at 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love passage, and then wrote a daily devotional for each day um, during uh, Advent. And so, so what we're going to do is we've got a bunch of these books that we're going to actually distribute to everybody as you want them. We've got one per household, uh, at least, you know, we, we don't have unlimited copies, but, but, you know, if you take one per household, you can share it within your house. And what we, we want to encourage people to do is, is each day, you know, read through the little devotional that he's written. It's usually maybe three pages. They're really short. They're not, not onerous at all. But, but as we, as a church, are, are centering on the same truths day after day after day, as the scriptures speak to us day after day after day, and then as our sermons week after week take those as jumping off points, hopefully we can be training together in the word of God. Most of all, though, we just need to be deep into God's word, for it is inspired, it is profitable, and it is purposeful. Finally, purposeful, it has a goal. It has a goal, namely, to equip us for every good work, as the text says. And it equips us so that we might serve others, so that we might, might be able to use the, the good thing that we've gotten. It's profitable. We've gained something from it. But so that we might use it for the benefit of others. It's profitable to us, but purposeful in the lives of others. If you are one who has given your life to Christ Jesus, one who has trusted in him for salvation, then that's at least one purpose in your life for the word of God. It's that it would equip you to serve others in response to the way Christ Jesus has served you. We loved because he first loved us. And when we realize how he has given himself for us, we can't help but give ourselves for others. That's part of, part of the equipping. It's a motivation, a directing, and 
a guiding. And if we've given our life to Christ Jesus, then that should be what we are doing. But perhaps there are those of you who are here today who haven't given your life to Christ Jesus. Maybe you call yourself a Christian, maybe you've gone to church your whole life, but you've never really wrestled with the truths of the gospel. You've never really wrestled with the fact that, that you are a sinner and, and you deserve to be damned. It's true of all of us. Maybe you've never wrestled with the fact that you can't earn the blessing of God. Maybe you just think of yourself as a good person. God must be happy to have me on his team. But see, the reality is, we are not. And so that's another purpose for the word of God as well. That we see in verse 15. The word of God will make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I hope each one of us here has wrestled with that truth and has made the realization that salvation is not something we can do. It is not something we can earn. But it is something each one of us can have through faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is incredibly clear. We are sinners. We deserve to die. But Jesus died for us, and we can have life in him. So trust in him. In closing, I just want to share that there are two errors that I was thinking about this week that churches can be guilty of. One is being uh, way into a modernism that chases after every new fad, right? The newest song on the radio, we're going to play that song this week. The, the newest worship trend in doing things this way, we're going to do it this way. I, I don't think we're too worried about that one here. <laughs> There's an opposite thing to be worried about, though. There's a traditionalism that does everything because that's the way we've always done it. That's where we need to be careful. We need to be careful that, that we don't just keep doing everything the way we've always done it and leave no room for being reformed by the word of God. Just like we shouldn't be prone to modernism and we shouldn't be prone to traditionalism, what should be our mark is biblicism, right? The Bible should mark all that we do. So let us revere the word of God and seek to be shaped by it. That's why we have an open...